0: Welcome back to REFSA Reflections, our podcast series where we chat about everything under the sun relating to the economy. Uh, The 12th Malaysia Plan is all the buzz this week, so today I'm with uh, REFSA Economy Advisor Frederick Paulus. Hi guys. Uh, And joining us (laughs) for the discussion is special guest, YB Dr. Ong Kian Ming, MP for Bagi and former Deputy Minister for International Trade and Industry. Welcome, yo,
1: yo, yo. Hi guys, I'm, I'm. for for the record, uh, those who can't see me, I'm holding up the 500-page document. It's quite heavy. So, yeah.
0: Yes, so we yeah. had two days to know the gist of this 500-page document. So let's kick it off. Uh, let's start with uh, why, uh, let's explain to the audience out there, to the listeners out there, we are in a crisis now. Is it still uh, logical to talk about a five-year plan like, so down the road, like we, we need to, don't we need to exit the crisis first? Um, then we talk about a long-term plan. What do you guys think? Okay, so I'll, I'll yeah. speak in defense of the government first. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's
1: nothing, nothing to do with the fact that we just signed an MOU. <laughs> uh, but I will say that it is still necessary to get this plan out. It's been delayed uh, for about a, a year already because of the COVID uh, you know, crisis. But I think it's still necessary in terms of charting uh, a direction uh, for uh, the government, not just for the economy, uh, but for the government as a whole, uh, to get us out of this uh, COVID crisis. Uh, and to be fair to the government, they did outline, you know, one of the uh, important areas is actually to, uh, you know, rehabilitate uh, or to revive the economy, right? So actually, uh, you know, that part that could have been part and parcel of this thick document uh, to revive the economy in ways that takes into account damage that COVID has done. Right, so that is why I think it's still necessary. Uh, but whether or not that was achieved in this booklet or in this in this book, I think that one remains to be seen, and uh, should be a topic of discussion.
2: Yep. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think it makes sense to. Uh Look uh, further into the future, especially that a five year plan is a pattern that uh, that we're used to in uh, in policy making i guess and um i would say uh, I, I look at it a bit like a um a corporate plan where or a, a corporate pattern where you have a strategic plan which goes over multiple years and then you tend to break it down into more uh, short term components which you know in this case could be the budget for example or individual plans. And, uh, it's always useful to have a, a guiding star that you can align to, um, uh, five years down the road rather than coming up with maybe if you, if you do shorter term things, you might, uh, be too reactive, I think, in your policy making. So I think it makes sense to, um, uh, keep, uh, the, the overall and future plans in, uh, in the back of your mind as well.
0: Yep. Uh, in adding to that, mm-hmm. I guess, uh, mm-hmm. this is a medium term plan. We, we still have a longer term plan, which is the shared yep. Prosperity Vision mm-hmm. document. Uh, and this fits into the first part of that, uh, vision document. Uh, so it, 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 it is a guidance within a guidance per se, then yep. each year's budget will then follow this uh, plan. So having said that, what are you, what do you guys think about the plan? What are your thoughts? First impressions? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, You know, again, not to
1: try to (laughs) defend the government, so to speak. I think it's very comprehensive in the sense that it covers a lot of areas. Uh, And the reason why it's important that these areas are covered, because these plans, like it or not, are used as reference points by the civil servants and to a certain extent by the politicians as well, by the ministers, the deputy ministers. Uh, You know, so uh, when this, when the details of each uh, particular sector that has been outlined... Each particular strategy, enabler, game changer that's been outlined here, uh, you know, is, uh, you know, understood uh, by the relevant stakeholders, whether it's civil servants, ministers, their assistants, and even uh, the private sector, uh, NGOs out there, uh, that, that can be uh, used, uh, you know, smartly, hopefully, uh, by the right people with the right motives to say that, hey, this particular area of uh, building back better in the green economy was spelled out in this plan. Uh, and uh, you know these are ways in which I can propose that you know we can, uh, let's say the private sector can work together with the government to come up with better uh, regulations, uh, better spending initiatives in order to realize the goals of this this plan in that particular sector. Right. So so it is important to have a comprehensive plan, and I think from that perspective, uh, it it is pretty comprehensive. I'll save the critics for later. Yeah.
0: How about you, Fred? Well, uh, we we did yeah. we. Sorry before you yeah. go, we did uh do such a wish list for REFSA. Mm-hmm. so maybe you can uh compare it between uh, the wish list and what actually came out yeah. for the plan
2: yeah yeah, I think in looking at it from that perspective the this plan I think touches upon a lot of the areas that we we also flagged for um, uh, intervention so to speak or for uh, for improvements uh, I think it covers things like um <clears throat> uh over reliance on sectors that currently have lower growth and, and low productivity uh over reliance on on uh, low-cost foreign workers uh and 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 conversely that we need to focus on higher growth sectors that we need to look at a green economy and so on so i think uh in in that sense it, it does well in uh in addressing these issues um i guess the It does come across. I mean, and I think that's not unusual for a plan of this nature. It's a little bit more of a statement of intent, I suppose, and actually uh, handing out solutions, right? So it goes a bit to what uh, Ming mentioned that it's meant to sort of set the the agenda and and the uh, the conversation topics for the future policies that individual ministries and so on have to look at. So, but but on the on the level of uh, what it touches upon, I think it's uh, it it goes into into the right areas, yeah, and. um, I think we can then go further into detail as we go along in this conversation here on the on the different topics and what, what we would have said about it.
0: Yeah, uh, I actually quite surprised that those areas were touched upon. We we saw digital economy, mm-hmm. we saw mm-hmm. uh, a green economy. I think that was given. Uh, um, kind of a central limelight. Uh, we rarely see yeah. any, especially Malaysian uh, federal government, talking about, you know, green economy. This is usually yeah. some liberal or progressive agenda. But now today we are talking it uh, as a mainstream idea. So what, what do you yeah. think should be the next steps uh, for them to, to, show, uh, to ensure that they are really uh, serious with uh, these reforms and uh, this push towards uh, this new direction? Maybe you can start with Fred and then Ken uh, Ming.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it. it uh, so um, it, it's it's two things, two main things. I think. See, so first of all, given that this is more of a statement of intent, obviously it needs to be translated into uh, into concrete measures, concrete policies, which will happen at the ministry level uh, rather than at a central planning unit. Uh, and then obviously there needs to be funding behind it, um, which goes into the budgets And then. Um, uh, a mechanism also to monitor and to control the implementation of the, uh, the measures that are behind it. I think that is really the key, um, and, and I think the also the way that the plan came to be, I think, uh, does draw upon a lot of uh, input from uh, from different areas of society, not not only from uh, you know, uh, the the. Uh, ruling parties or, or their uh, their constituency but also other civil society organizations and so on so i think it's a broad-based plan i think that also that's reflected in the the measures that show up uh, so i think if that uh, habit can be maintained for the, the more concrete measures i think then we'll have a relatively good quality uh, proposals uh, etc that, that can be implemented i think that would be really a, a great implementation course for, uh, for this plan
1: yeah so i think uh you know, just for the benefit of the listeners, uh, each ministry needs also to come up with their own blueprint uh, to develop the sectors mm-hmm. that are under their own jurisdiction. So, for example, I think uh, last year, uh, the Ministry of Communications and Multimedia did launch the Malaysian Economic Digital Blueprint, right? And uh, that actually spells out the roadmap towards uh, the digital economy, uh, digitalizing uh, government services and uh, you know, other areas uh, which needs... Uh, uh, you know this this kind of uh, digital improvement uh, in much much greater detail uh, that uh, I think is much more uh, comprehensive yep. than what was spelled out here. Uh, similarly, for MITI, uh, my former ministry, uh, they are supposed to come out with a national industrial master plan as well. Uh, supposed to be published this year, but because of Covid, you know, if the twelfth Malaysia plan was postponed until this year, and I think the national industrial master plan uh, will probably come out uh, sometime next year. So that would spell t- out, spell out, spell uh, out in more concrete details the kind of uh, uh, improvements we want uh, in the manufacturing sector, which has also been outlined, you know, in terms of those key areas, key sectors uh, in this particular book. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I was wondering, you know, whether you guys uh, feel as if uh, you know. Uh, Fred said, this is a statement of intent. But to me, it's like more like uh, just uh, elaboration of bullet points. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of those kind of stuff there, right? Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I think true. what what I miss is uh, some kind of examples or some description in greater detail of certain things which actually mm. can capture the public's imagination, uh, you know, whether from a creativity standpoint or from uh, the standpoint of what you Want the country to look like in this particular sector using an existing example or using an example from another country. So, for example, uh, you know, under the digital, digital, digitalizing the the country part, why not uh, you know put in a target to say that we want uh, x number of uh, billion dollar unicorns to be created in Malaysia by 2025, right? And then give an example of QASM, you know, which uh, you know recently uh, achieved unicorn status, right? So use that as something to capture the Public imagination, and then give a bit more oomph to the document. What What do you guys think?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it should be more than just a statement of intent. It should be a roadmap, uh, as it was intended. So let's say if it's a food security oh. issue, if you want to address food security issue, then you need to explain, or oh, from end to end, how do you uh, try to overcome that problem? Uh, you start from how mm. you you uh, revamp or transform agriculture using IoT, maybe then there's a, uh, an issue of supply chain management. If you don't have enough land, maybe you use vertical farming as one of the input for, for, for that kind of uh, uh, produce. Uh, maybe you can use community gardening, like you have uh, each community uh, planting different crops, mm-hmm. Of course, advised by Mardi or all uh, the UPM, we have the institutional capacity, but I guess we we lack the imagination per se. Uh, what what do you think, mm-hmm. Fred? Anything to add?
2: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think the um, the way the plan comes across now is uh, is quite abstract and theoretical. I think that sort of goes to what Kenning mentioned about uh, elaborated bullet points. Whereas if you um, if you look at an example like he uh, also mentioned, if you you're targeting to create x number of unicorns in the next five years or so Uh, I think that also focuses thinking so because one of the things that I saw or you know you can look at for example uh, crab you know which was uh, originally a Malaysian company but then ended up leaving for Singapore Uh, so if you think well we had a unicorn at that point but it somehow left why did it leave and then you can ask yourself well how can we re- remedy the situation if you if you don't go to like a concrete target like this then it's more difficult to uh, to come up with that kind of thinking you know how do you ensure that there is uh, enough like you know uh, investment depth for uh, for unicorns how do you um, uh, enable them to find skills how do you enable them to find clients et cetera so I think that that would help in um uh, focusing minds on on solutions and that uh, that we need to look at yeah actually kind both you and Fred brought up mm-hmm. a very interesting
1: part because. You know, I I was I w- I used the example, uh, you know, of unicorns to uh, let us look into the future. Mm. But both you and Fred brought up the point that there's not enough uh, diagnostics, uh, there's not enough uh, understanding of critical analysis of yep. what what went wrong in the past. Mm. Right? So they talk yep. about issues and challenges moving forward uh, yep. in very generic yep. terms, or uh, you know, uh, yep. low skilled workers, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, lack of, uh, you know, improving the, the education standard in Malaysia, blah, 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 these kind of uh, motherhood apple pie statements. But they never say, oh, the reason uh, that, uh, you know, despite uh, billions of ringgit being put into different types of uh, paddy uh, and, uh, you know, and uh, fertilizer uh, subsidies in Malaysia, uh, our productivity in Kedah or in different parts of uh, Malaysia where paddy is planted is still... Are very, very low, you know, X number of hectares uh, per, per year, you know, uh, that, that kind of productivity numbers. So I, I think without that that kind of diagnostics, you won't be able to evaluate what has gone wrong and what needs to be rectified yeah. moving forward.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think it's it's very noticeable because they start each section with this uh, summary of what the 11th plan said or targeted and, and what the actual result was. And you see that actually very few of these targets were met. Right? But then there is no explanation or, or attempt even to sort of explain why the, uh, the it fell short in, in these areas. And, okay, I guess you can argue that they, obviously the 11th plan covers a period where COVID happened and so on to an extent, um, even although 2020 was maybe not fully impacted by it just yet. Um, but it's still, you, it's, you can suspect that there is something underlying here that, that should, should have been addressed, which hasn't been. So that's, uh, yeah.
0: Before so, we take our well. before we take our gloves and then hit on uh, this plan, <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe we can highlight some of the highlights yeah. that uh, we 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 find uh, in in the presentation and the ideas that were mentioned by the prime minister. Any thoughts? Uh,
1: I think it's good that the prime minister mentioned uh, the fourth industrial revolution. Although when he uh, read it from the speech, he referred it to to it as a uh, 4-1-R, uh, 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 of, yeah. uh, 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 of course, it's meant to be, be read as 4-I-R uh, uh, or 4-I-R, uh, you know, 4th uh, Industrial Revolution. So I think the, the emphasis that's given to 4th IR, uh, IR is good. Uh, and I think uh, there are some parts of this document that highlights uh, the need for, uh, for example, smart manufacturing uh, and uh, different uh, aspects that were highlighted in the... Uh, industry 4.0 industry forward uh, uh, roadmap uh, that was uh, launched uh, under the Pakatan Harapan government, uh, and I think the digitalizing com- digitalization component is also one that's important uh, for the country moving forward. So I, I think uh, at least uh, those those uh, you know that was part of our wish list, and it was featured uh, not, uh, quite prominently in, in this document.
2: Yep. Yep yeah what i also like about how they approach digitalization and i think they they mentioned specifically gig platforms for example and uh, mentioned the uh, the fact that they would look to introduce uh, uh regulations to for example offer social protection to gig workers and, and incentives for training etc i think that's also uh, very welcome uh when you see that uh, the labor market overall will be increasingly targeting or moving towards gig work etc so i think it's uh a very good uh, plan to introduce um, social protection there as well. So it's How about you, that. that? Included? Yep.
0: Yeah, I, I like the the part where mm-hmm. they, they they acknowledge some of our concern, uh, and mm-hmm. uh, that there are mentions even beyond care economy, you know, green economy. Also, something about care economy where where yep. we are going into aging society, so this needs to be looked into, and not just. Um you know rely on sons and daughters to help you in the future, but you have institutions social institutions to help uh, to help uh, people who are aging uh, into the future so I guess that 's good yep. uh, and there 's also a mention of blue economy, so I, I guess somehow those writers are some uh, somehow looking into what we write and then just yep. including it in
1: no we like to think so of uh, <laughs> course you know we're contributing to the larger. Conversation out there that uh, that's yeah. being put in by different stakeholders. Uh, so, for example, I think uh, you know one of the things that I liked here uh, is uh, strategy D three, which is uh, the developing the sports industry uh, and uh, improving the sports industry ecosystem. So, not just thinking yeah. in terms of sports as a lifestyle choice, uh, but seeing how it can actually contribute to the economy, which actually it does. Not just from the fact that you know uh, there are event organizers out there, there are people who. Uh, do training for different types of sports events. Uh, But it's, uh, you know, even including, uh, for example, coming out with Malaysian uh, uh, manufactured products uh, in different sports uh, that we may have a comparative advantage in, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, even badminton records, the kind of R&D technology that we we use. Uh, Now, you know, big data analytics is uh, pretty important, uh, including in sports. Uh, So I think this is part and parcel of what uh, I think the, the... uh, Ministry of Youth and Sports, together with ISN, which has actually a data unit, Institute Sukarnegara uh, is trying to, to inculcate. I think that kind of thinking should be expanded into other other sectors as well.
0: Yeah. So a good plan is only as good as its execution. So uh, a lot of people out there uh, has been asking, okay, it's a good plan. Uh, Malaysia is known to produce good plans. But how do we ensure that these plans are executed at least sufficiently well so that the intended outcome is uh, realized in the future? Uh,
1: I I think I can try to make a step at this uh, given my previous position in government. What I realized, uh, you know, uh, especially now that I've had the benefit of time and also uh, ability to compare, uh, you know, performance of, let's say, our government uh, with uh, the recent government, the recent two governments, Uh, is that you actually need very proactive uh, ministers and deputy ministers to make sure that there's political, uh, you know, there's political momentum uh, to carry out, uh, you know, important elements in this plan. So, for example, you know, people talk about industry forward, industry 4.0, and that's basically buzzwords that happens, uh, you know, in, in, let's say, Miti, for example. If, let's say, there was no follow-up, there's no concrete, uh, attempt to try to make sure that the KPIs are kept. what will happen is that at the end of, you know, the the period of uh, the industry forward plan or at the end of this 12th Malaysia plan, uh, you'll see that whatever targets that was announced for industry forward would not have been met. And there's no no political consequence because, you know, the minister would have changed. The deputy minister would have changed, right? But, you know, when I was deputy minister, I made sure that, uh, you know, uh, the different Industry 4.0 uh, programs that were specific to that particular point in time. So, for example, we had something called the Industry Assessment, whereby we would get, uh, you know, 500 companies to come and join Miti uh, so that we could evaluate their readiness to move on from Industry 1.0, 2.0 before even thinking about uh, whether they are ready to move uh, from uh, from uh, 2.0 to 3.0, 4.0. So I went on roadshows around the country, made sure that the civil servants Uh, was uh, on this journey together with me uh, and my team. Uh, And uh, finally, we reached those targets uh, at the end of 2019. And then later on, you know, in 2020, uh, ambitious plans to make sure that the implementation part of the next step for for these industry assessments, which was to give money to these, uh, uh, you know, manufacturing companies uh, to put in place specific uh, industry 4.0 technologies, whether it's IoT, whether it's big data analytics, uh, whether it's systems integration, uh, you know, uh, and, and to be able to, to, to track the progress that they make throughout the year and then have an evaluation report end of the year because of best cases and use those best cases to highlight the next round of initiatives that we can undertake and to improve on those initiatives. Uh, I think that was something that uh, you know, I tried my very best to do. Unfortunately, uh, ran out of time uh, because the government <laughs> fell. But uh, re- that really shows yep. to me, really depends on the initiative of the ministers and deputy ministers to push the agenda of these kinds of
2: documents yep. forward. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I think the, um, uh, it's also important to look at a, at a whole of government approach in a way. So they, they use that buzzword. I think it shows up in the plan. Uh, but I think it, it's, uh, it, it does have practical implications because a, a lot of what's here in, in, you know, incentives to move to IR 4.0 and uh, increase automation and implement initiatives and so on. I suppose those are all what you could describe like as a carrot. You know, it's like, uh, incentives for businesses to, to go along that chain and so on. Uh, I think what we also argued for in our wish list in in a way is that you also need like a, some sort of a stick, I suppose, which is uh, the, you know, they usually come together. Right? And, and what we positioned as a stick in this case is like the um, increasing the cost of relying on foreign workers, basically, by ensuring that. Uh, you know their housing is uh, as it should be according to uh, you know act 446 etc um introducing a multi-tiered levy that would increase their cost so that there is less of a cost disparity between investing in automation and in, in future ir 4.0 initiatives and in just using uh low-cost foreign workers today obviously that's they that may not be under the remit of uh, of miti for example they, they that may be under mohr or uh, you know, even uh, home affairs right so so some coordination in terms of regulation there to achieve uh, uh, like a coordinated target, I think is necessary as well.
1: Yeah.
0: So, for the, oh, sorry. So, uh, so, so you, you,
2: you
1: mentioned Act 446. Uh, this was the question yeah. that I asked the minister in parliament yesterday, uh, you know, in terms of uh, actions undertaken to make sure that uh, companies are compliant or more companies are compliant to Act 446, meaning that they actually apply for uh, certification uh for the accommodation that they used to house uh workers, mostly foreign workers uh and basically the minister just read out whatever the civil service gave me uh, mm-hmm. i mm-hmm. don 't really think that he was really yep. trying to to explain the issue to the public uh, and to show the actions that he had uh you know he was responsible to undertake and my uh question to him uh the follow up question was what steps had he undertaken to work with let's mm-hmm. say the Ministry of Housing right? Because the Ministry of Housing actually approved the circular uh, to give temporary licenses uh, for accommodation uh, for foreign workers, for workers, uh, you know, to be built uh, on site in factories that have spaces or to uh, allow uh, shop lots to be converted into temporary housing accommodation. Right, and uh, he basically replied to say that, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll look into this, and then later on, he texted me privately and said, yeah, I'm gonna seek an appointment with the minister, who's a new minister of Housing and Local Development. But I would have thought that he would have sought the minister before this yep. new minister beforehand. Did. Yes, no, <laughs> exactly. even yeah. even before, yeah, yeah even yeah. before this to get coordinate some sort of a mm. more more extensive yeah. plan. But if let's say the minister is distracted, he's not focused on getting mm. some of this stuff done. To coordinate with other ministers and whatnot, uh, basically the ball will be dropped along the way. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. You guys mm-hmm. actually uh, brought up some interesting points because uh, when we talk about whole of government approach, whole of society approach, there's this need or uh, a priority to work across ministries. Yeah, and how mm-hmm. like we we see a comprehensive plan, but every now and then we know that the problem is the The, the coordination or the lack of coordination or communication between um, or among the ministries. We see that during COVID and then we, we're going to potentially see it in the future if this is what happens, uh, like what you, uh, what you mentioned, Ken Ming. So like, how do we, how do we overcome that? Is, is, is it to restructure the minister in terms of sectors? Because we do have sectors or clusters. So how do we overcome that? Okay. Um, This is not going to be a very popular suggestion, Uh, but if you look at the way
1: Singapore does it, uh, they will usually have uh, ministers of state, which is deputy ministers, cover more than one portfolio. And some ministers Mm -hmm. also, they will cover more than one portfolio. The reason behind that is that they don't want ministers to think in terms of silo. I will only look after the areas of jurisdiction within my own ministry and you look after your ministry and you don't come and touch me, I don't come and touch you. Right, so that was actually that is actually the prevalent thinking among uh, many ministers because they also don't want you know don't want other people to come and interfere in their own plans uh, in for their own ministries, uh, you know, for for better for worse, right? So one way to do this is actually to try to make sure that there are interministerial uh, committee meetings on a regular basis where there's co-chairing uh, between uh, you know two different ministers, two different deputy ministers, but on a particular subject that you want to solve, right? So, for example, uh, Kula uh, and also muhidin uh, who was Minister of Human Resources and Ministry of Home of- Minister of Home Affairs, they chaired uh, a joint meeting that included uh, representatives from other ministries, like Miti, I, I sent in as, as deputy minister, to address the issue of foreign workers, right? Including introducing the multi-tier levy, right? And, and you know, we got some ways, but we didn't get as far uh, and I can say it now it's because of um, uh, Tansri Muhyiddin at the time not wanting to push this agenda forward uh, but in other areas where the ministers were able to push the agenda forward, like for example close working relationship between uh, my ministry Mithi, and the minis- Ministry of finance, we set up things like for example the china special channel between MITI and 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 the and, uh, and uh, mof to uh to to attract more investments coming out from China in a strategic way. We set up the National Committee on Investments uh, 1 and 2. Uh, one uh, that was going to be co-chaired, that was co-chaired between the ministers of finance and the meeting minister so that approvals could be given faster for strategic investments, right? So, you know, of course, that went out the door when there was the uh, change in government, but that showed me clearly when there is this kind of joint ministerial uh, meetings and the political will to push things through, things can get done. Mm-hmm.
0: But unfortunately, that will be reliant on the personalities, uh, I guess. Uh, so that leaves us a bit wanting in terms of in institutional reforms or structural reforms in this particular uh, document. With that, I, I guess, brings to the next point, which is what do you think are the shortcomings or gaps that you see in each of the plans?
1: Yeah, I think... Uh other than what we've spoken about just now uh, in terms of the lack of imagination and creativity would be, uh, the specific steering, uh, steering mechanisms or the processes that are needed, uh, to put the actions of this document in place. Um, this doesn't necessarily mean we must have, uh, regular meetings, uh, chaired by, uh, the prime minister all the time. Uh, you know, for example, you know, there's, uh, now the uh, you know set up there, there was a there, there was a council set up for uh, you know fourth IR chaired by the prime minister. There's a national productivity uh, council that's chaired by the prime minister. I think there are like uh, maybe between ten to twenty councils that are chaired by the prime minister. And I've been in some of these council meetings. Hardly anything gets done in terms of concrete action. Uh, the prime minister, you know, at the time to Mahathir, he would just share whatever views he had with those topics and never really. Uh, assign proper follow-up for different ministers to undertake or different ministries to undertake right so so you know that's why we need actually proper uh, steering mechanisms uh, to ensure that okay uh, let's say on digitalization uh, we're gonna have a joint ministerial uh, committee uh, that sets up that that is uh, that meets every uh, quarter or half a year for example and then if let's say we want greater oversight we can have a a parliamentary select committee meeting every six months or so that looks into the area of implementation of initiatives to do with digitalization uh, under the Ministry of Communications uh, and Multimedia. And if necessary, uh, we can call in other ministries that have a stake in this particular uh, pie. So, you know, it would have been nice to see more of these mechanisms outlined here. Uh, There is a a chapter on uh, institutional reform, including parliamentary reform, uh, but I don't think these kinds of processes were mentioned. in detail uh, specifically in this
2: document.
0: Mm.
2: yeah yeah I, I think uh, one one that I also noted that which sort of relates to this and what, which we also call for in our wish list is sort of um, uh Decentralizing more of the uh, authority and, and, you know, uh, spending authority, for example, uh, to the state level and, and even to, uh, the local uh, level, which, you know, it's, it's, there is a mention of coordinating better between three levels of government, but uh, I think it doesn't go as far as what we were calling for. Um, but I mean, if I can move on to like uh, another point that, uh, that I uh, think, you know, is questionable is, is this, um, focus on, on some sectors that, that uh, are positioned as higher growth sectors. And then I think there's two in particular where you can wonder in the aftermath of the pandemic, if they're really going to uh, generate as much growth, which I think is the the aerospace one in, in tourism. You know. um, obviously, you know, air travel is still very much below the, uh, what it was before the uh, the pandemic. So I don't think that bodes well for uh, you know, buying new planes and so on. Uh, and then tourism uh, by extension is in the same boat. So um I think it's sort of, I mean, I think in a vacuum or without the, uh, the the context of the last two years, these sectors probably may make sense, especially tourism. I mean, that's been a strong sector before. Um, you have to wonder if, in in the confines of this five year plan, you really want to bet on, uh, on on these two as your as two of the sort of seven they highlighted as high growth uh, sectors here. And yeah, yeah so I think uh, yeah, I'll, I'll let Kim- yeah one. no no
1: just just to add to what Fred yeah. said just now uh mm-hmm. you know it would have been good to for for you know the coordinating coordinating minister and ministry which is the economic planning unit to at least mm-hmm. uh you know be cognizant of some of the recent trends uh, in the two sectors yeah. that uh, Fred talked about so we the focus may not be on aerospace uh, in terms of building uh you know uh, passenger planes for example. Uh, but what, why not shift tech to give focus more on, for example, uh, drones, right? As part uh, and parcel of a uh, smaller parcel of the aerospace industry. And, you know, we have uh, a local uh, champion uh, called Aerodyne that has been given some accolades uh, at the international level. And why not, uh, you know, try to include, uh, you know, the, the, uh, aer- the, the, the drone ecosystem, uh, not just the building and manufacturing of the drone, but testing, uh, looking at delivery, looking to see how this can be uh, used in the mapping for palm oil estates, for agric- agriculture plantations, for uh, even uh, forest preservation, and things like that, and, and even uh, see whether this can be part and parcel to uh, uh, grow the tourism industry. You know, uh, you know, looking looking at uh, hikes into the jungle, but using drone technology to be able to assist you to to see, uh, you know have an aerial view, you don't have to have canopy walk, right? So this kind yeah. of out-of-the-box oh, thinking I think uh, would have been good uh, you know, to have been yep. expressed somewhere in the document. And I'm not sure, what, Fred, whether you took a look at the 11th plan But there were sort of like some strategic papers that were commissioned by in the 11th plan that were written Mm -hmm. by, by sort of experts in different uh, fields and sectors. And they have more room to play in these strategic papers to outline certain aspirations. Mm -hmm. And I think that was something that is uh, missing in this, in this uh, booklet, but it may make an appearance uh, because they've created a website for this. Uh, and they are going to do a roadshow, right. so maybe some of that input will find its way there mm. eventually.
2: <laughs> yeah, that, that that'll be interesting to find out. Yeah, yeah and I think beyond uh, you know uh, debating the the choice of sectors that is mentioned here, I think the other um, question that I had reading it is so one of the items mentioned here is to focus R and D spending on the on commercialization commercialization issues and innovation and so on specifically as well, which I think is a is a good plan. Uh, it's it's a good way to try and increase growth and, and the added value that the economy brings, but there is no mechanism mentioned as such to ensure that whatever it is that you fund uh, will actually achieve some kind of product market fit. To use like a venture capital term, you know, that to ensure that whatever product you are developing will actually encounter a, a market and hence be mm. successful. Um, and and I think that's trying to come up with a mechanism to to find this. Market fit is one of the reasons that we've been advocating for this uh, mission-oriented um, uh, policies. What's where, the you know, it's not, yeah, it's not because it's fashionable or because it's been in the news lately and so on. But I think it sort of tries to address this issue of uh, betting on a on a horse that really has a chance to um, uh, to deliver, uh, and you have some more information to before you make that bet to uh, to do so. And that's not really reflected here in the uh, in the plan item, So that could be uh, uh, a caveat as well.
1: Okay, so yeah.
2: I, Iskander, I have a test for you and also less so for
1: Fred because <laughs> la, he's not, you know, he's not been in Malaysia for that long. Have you heard of a government agency called the Technology Depository Agency uh, no. or TDA, right? No, so no. Uh, <laughs> if you, can, you, you, you can Google it later, Technology Depository Agency, Berhad or TDA. Uh, and I was very surprised when I mentioned this agency to a former KSU or Secretary General of MITI. Uh, And this person did not know of this agency's uh, existence. The reason why I bring it up is because if you look at the website of this agency, it is tasked with the responsibility of ensuring technology transfer uh, in areas where there has been a large sum of money committed for government procurements uh, and projects given to big companies, especially multinationals. Right. So, for example, uh, there was a big contract uh, given out to uh, Talis. Th- uh, uh, it's a French uh, defense uh, contractor uh, for certain defense contracts. And a percentage of this was supposed to go into technology transfer uh, to help locals uh, develop commercial technology, uh, non defense related. Uh, and it was some part of it was used successfully, I was told, uh, for a local company to uh, build some of the the uh, uh, television screens for the commercial uh, aircraft, mm-hmm. right? So uh, you know that kind of technology transfer is just one example, right? Uh, but the fact that nobody has heard of this agency, including mm-hmm. a former secretary general, I think shows the limitation that uh, you know the government has had uh, to encourage this kind of technology transfer in areas that yep. it has jurisdiction over, which is government procurement. Mm-hmm. Right, So, I think that, that that is something that again lack of diagnostics.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. to be fair, there are so many agencies out there, <laughs> and some of them are overlapping. In, in exactly, terms yeah. of technology alone, we have MDAC, we have Magic, and then we have a few others that, that at least you've yeah. heard of those. <laughs> <laughs> For the benefit of consulting, yes. <laughs>
2: but i think i it's it's a good point i think uh, and i thought there was a positive in the plan actually that it um uh it highlights uh the um the use of government procurement for example to uh, uh stimulate and to sort of uh, uh encourage certain behaviors in certain industries like green procurement uh and i think that's that's definitely worth pursuing i mean i think more can be achieved through there than um uh than than what we've done so far yeah yeah, yeah.
0: i think uh my my Want or like what I find uh, kind of missing is uh, I echo what Fred says uh, the devolution of power to 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 local level or state level governments because that builds on the preparation or like our preparedness for future crisis. Uh, that I think uh, is kind of lacking uh, like do we really have um, like a blueprint or a handbook if we were to uh, face any other crisis in the future, uh, like, look, not just uh, COVID, maybe it's like going to be a different kind of crisis. So have we really learned uh, from the past crisis to develop some sort of a framework or a blueprint that we can just, when it happens, when it hits us, we just go, okay, we know what to do. Let's do one, two, three, A, B, C, and just keep the ball rolling instead of, okay, we, we just dawdle for a while, Two months, three months, uh, wait and see approach, and then only we decide to do things that are outdated by other markets. So I guess that's what I find missing, la, in the. Like this. a crisis management handbook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, crisis <laughs> uh, management handbook and preparedness <clears throat> manual or something like that.
1: I, yeah. I think we could actually do something like that. Uh, you know, to fill out some of the gaps that have been left out by uh, left by by this uh, 12th Malaysia Plan. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, it could be the next uh, REFSA initiative, uh, for example. Uh, and to show that, look, we are contributing positively to the discussion, uh, and whatever inputs that we come up with, you know, we can uh, highlight them in the press, in podcasts, in interviews, and also, more importantly, to feedback to the relevant uh, Uh, ministries uh, whether it's through parliamentary select committees through some of the personal relationships that uh, myself and some of the other some of my colleagues in in parliament have and of course now in the spirit of bipartisanship after we sign this MOU uh, you know hopefully there there can be more channels in which these ideas can be uh, given on a constructive basis. Yep
0: Yep. because uh, I find that this this is important and uh, in terms of crisis uh, time is an essence uh, we the the more we delay the more lives uh, lost so I think that should be a priority and we can do our national service in coming up with papers and advisory on how the government can tackle that sounds good yeah Fred
2: yeah no, uh, yeah I was going to say I mean I think the uh, one of the things that's striking when you read the the panel uh, this you know uh, is that it doesn't really touch upon uh, COVID so much, uh, and the pandemic. I think the, and I think that that is probably a consequence of the fact that the bulk of this was written probably before the uh, the crisis even started, the pandemic started. Um, but I, you know, as given that it was delayed by um, uh, more than a year, I think um, I, you would have thought that maybe you could. Uh, try to figure out a, a bit more in depth well, what would be the effect on the economy of the, the things that happened and, and what we would need to do to, uh, uh, to address that, a, a bit like we've done in our Mohiba strategies, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, that's sort of lacking here as well. I mean, it seems I, I don't think that anything that's mentioned here as an issue and so on is necessarily no longer applicable. I think it's all still very much relevant. Um, but I think the 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 range of responses may have to be extended after what we've seen during the pandemic, and I think that's also uh, missing here.
1: Yeah, uh, it's. I think it's a function of the fact that the civil service, yeah. uh, you know, usually would like to craft very safe documents. They don't yeah. like yeah. to stick their necks yeah. out. But you know, during a yeah. time of uh, you know this COVID crisis, this is when we need to have more creative thinking and more mm-hmm. uh, innovative uh, actions uh, that. Uh, should have been reflected. Yep.
0: Okay, yep. so uh, having said that, what are the follow-up steps, and uh, how do we yep. see this document be- moving forward? Bef-
2: yeah, be- before we get to that, I have a question actually, because I remember reading somewhere that the uh, so that the development expenditure that was sort of projected in this plan was significantly higher than the previous one. Uh, I couldn't really find anything of that in in what I've managed to read through. So, have you heard anything about that?
1: Mm, I, I think the development expenditure that has been announced is somewhere in the region of 250 billion ringgit, mm-hmm. uh, basically yeah. about 50 yeah. billion per for, for year. Uh, but yeah. uh, I would take that figure with a note of caution because, like I've said mm-hmm. in, in, in the past and in some of my writings, uh, the actual development expenditure is basically the amount of DE that you publish in the budget each year. It doesn't yeah. include all the uh, off-budget or spending by the special-purpose vehicles, such mm-hmm. as Dana Infra, yeah. which actually most of it is used for, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, development ex- expenditure projects. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, as and yeah. when the government wants to spend on, on these uh, infrastructure mm-hmm. projects, and it probably will through these SPVs on things like, for example, the MRT3, the, it's, uh, if it's approved, uh, then we can look forward to more development spending. Uh, but uh, the fact mm-hmm. that it's not really spelled out here Uh, Also shows to me that the government really doesn't have a very good handle at this point in time, uh, in terms of the public uh, finance and spending strategy
2: uh, in the next five years. Partly because of COVID, you know. Yeah, yeah, which is fair, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, obviously um, the the fiscal balance and so on is all uh, uh, up in the air for now, so better not to uh, commit to too much. Yeah.
0: Oh, Mm -hmm. uh, so how how is that different than the four hundred billion? development expenditure is it part of it or
1: yeah i saw this 400 billion uh, figure
0: yeah
2: thrown out. that's what i'm referring um, to as well
1: yeah i, I wasn't but, quite sure where where, where it's from yeah. uh probably need to go and look at it in more detail but yeah, mm. yeah as far as i know yeah. the actual development expenditure uh you know as per the budget is uh, fifty billion mm. a year uh, but uh yeah. You know, the the balance could be from the spending from these special purpose vehicles. Mm. Yeah, that
2: could be. Yeah, yeah. But it's a big difference. I mean, if you look at four hundred billion, that's eighty billion a year, compared to the fifty. I mean, it's um, it's it's an interesting discrepancy, especially given the the uncertainties around financing and and, uh, and fiscal balance. I mean, that's uh, mm. so that would be uh, quite a bold call. Yeah? yeah. Well, something for us to follow yeah. up on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We need to follow up on that. Yeah. Yeah. Put it,
0: put it in our to do list <laughs> <Yep>. yeah <laughs> okay, so uh, what are the follow up steps uh, other than that item we just discussed uh, for the term plan
1: mm, I, I I myself I think I will undertake and uh, maybe with uh, Rafsa's assistance more strategic uh, discussions with uh, industry players uh, in sectors that uh, I think uh, we all should uh, focus more on. Uh, for example, uh, the re- renewable energy sector. Right? What are the kind of plans uh, or strategies that they would like to see uh, the government put in place? Uh, what are some of the ideas that they have? You know, in terms of not just growing the market within Malaysia, but also uh, exporting uh, their services and their products overseas. Uh, so, you know, if we can have uh, more substantive uh, industry dialogue, uh, and Rasa, I think, uh, would be a good. Uh, organization or institution to, uh, you know, undertake some of these uh, discussions. And then we can, uh, you know, take those ideas, uh, like I said before, uh, and package them in a way that's, uh, you know, more policy-driven uh, and not just trying to say, you know, we want to help out company X, Y, and Z, uh, and then present this uh, to the public and also, more importantly, to uh, the relevant uh, minister of the ministry. I think that will be something quite interesting to do.
2: Yeah, I think that's, that's a very concrete action point uh, for us. Actually, I think the um, uh, I think the way we put it on the, on social media for Revsa was that the uh, that you know, every every Malaysian should have an input basically in the plan. I mean, it, it concerns them. <clears throat> so I think um, going to the uh, to the grassroots uh, in a way and, and uh, collecting everybody's views and, and trying to uh, aggregate it into useful policies is uh, is a very good starting point. I think it would also. Uh, sort of encourage um, commitment on uh, on behalf of everyone to uh, to get behind what's in this plan and try to deliver on it.
0: Okay. So, any last thoughts or last words for the listeners out there?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, if uh, the listeners have any suggestions mm-hmm. to us, uh, please feel free to contact uh, us through you know, uh, you know, my own personal social media or through uh, Iskanda Fred's uh, Twitter mm-hmm. accounts or to uh, REFSA, you know, as an institution. Yep, to ref, so good. Uh, yep. Yeah, we, we really uh, encourage more ideas. Uh, and, uh, you know, I myself, I, I'm, I'm really trying to do things uh, differently uh, moving forward uh, because of this COVID pandemic. So just to give an example mm-hmm. as, as closing, uh, I've collected over 3,000 names for this uh, Baku Makanan program, this uh, uh, food basket distribution program. Uh, and uh, I've just updated the list uh, yesterday. And I'm working with a couple of uh, uh, job uh, job sites uh, to see how we can actually uh, help uh, these people who have lost their income uh, to look for the right jobs uh, in their uh, respective areas. Uh, this in my constituency, uh, so that we can, you know, try to get give them a leg up uh, and, and try to understand their pain points in terms of the kind of jobs that they want to uh, look for and uh, is good fit for them. Uh, so I'm, I, I hope that if, let's say, I have enough data points and enough uh, uh, analytical uh, uh, outputs, uh, maybe that can find itself into a research paper. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I think that it's a good point. One that I was just thinking about now as well is the one thing that was, for example, uh, noticeable or very useful is the the fact that the uh, uh, MOH and the the vaccination task force put their data on uh, on the on the GitHub, available for people to go through into to analyze and so on I think it's something that we as refs also asked for in, in, in our call for more open data I think that, that github implementation is a very good example um, but it's something that is uh, you know it, it sounds small but it could end up having quite big ramifications right it's but it's probably started small uh, and it's also something that's not mentioned in this plan so I think that sort of kind of bottom-up thinking is really also uh, very valuable at this point in time and seemingly, minor things could actually uh, unlock uh, big changes in the uh, uh, in the coming months and years which is something that we will want to look for
0: Yep, for me i think i i like mm-hmm. to see more uh, data being shared uh, we we mm-hmm. talk about all these plans huge ambition but without the data we cannot do the diagnostics uh, if they, they they share more data mm-hmm. in terms of like yeah what they are doing with the GitHub uh, thing for MOH. MOH is good. But yeah, expand that to other things. We want to achieve, uh, let's say, uh, X percent of digitization. Then release the yeah. data on digitization. So at least mm-hmm. we have that open sourcing uh, culture. When you, when you share more data, at least if you don't have the solution, someone out there could have a solution and help you. Then why exactly, not work yeah. together?
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then just to add on to that point, Skandar, I think uh, what REFSA can actually contribute to this discussion of data is to point out specific uh, data that we want mm. uh, from the government, uh, so that there can be more clarity in terms of the diagnostics. Right. So, for example, yep. uh, you know, I, I track the renewable industry quite closely. I would want to know, for example, the, the implementation record and timeline for the large-scale solar projects, uh, which have been mm. awarded uh, already four times. Right. Uh, which one of them yep. have? actually been successfully implemented. Mm. What is the efficiency rate uh, of uh, generating uh, solar uh, by region, by state, by by company, right? So all this actually will be able to help us to uh, analyze what went right, what went wrong in this particular sector. And that kind of analysis can be replicated uh, across other industries as well.
0: Yep. Yep. Good points all around guys. Okay. So Mm -hmm. that's all the time we have today. Uh, So like uh, Ken Ming and Fred said, let's continue the discussion at our social platform, uh, I mean, we can meet up with everyone, uh, email us, contact us through social media, Facebook, Twitter. We have yep. Twitter, info uh, InfoRefsa. We have uh, Facebook, Research for Social Advancement. And we also have uh, Instagram, refsa underscore my. So, till we meet again, I'm Iskandar Faris. Hi, hey, uh, bye, course. bye, I'm
1: Ken Ming. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> and we also have one. Ken Ming, uh, Fred, Frederick <laughs> Paulus. Stay safe and have a pleas- pleasant day. Yeah, thank you.
2: Take care. Take care.